0: Kevin. It's like he wrote that. It's like a poet who understands poetry because they wrote it. I really appreciate that. Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you all here. Um, this morning, uh, I want to start by, by kind of walking through how, how I got to this place uh, in order to preach a sermon this morning. Uh, I asked Jeff earlier this week, so wh- what should I preach on? You want me to keep it within a series? You want me to build off of what you did last week? And he wrote back very s- simply, he said, preach whatever is on your heart. We've already talked about some of those things that have been going on in the world. Some of those things may be on your heart, on your mind as well. So that's a tough order in this case, to preach whatever is on my heart uh, when the world feels the way it does right now, when the headlines read the way they read right now. And so that's what I started with. I started with whatever was on my heart. uh, And, you know, in that situation, you don't always want to just, oh, okay, I'll sit up here and I'll tell you what I think about things. I don't want to do that. I want to preach something from the Word, Uh, but I also had uh, an echo of of something that I learned back in my undergrad days, which was from my uh, homiletics professor. His name is Dr. Maury Jackson. He taught us this when we were learning. He said, preach to yourself and let everyone else listen, which I think is another tall order, but this morning, uh, that, is, that is my aim. This, I'm preaching this one to myself. I'm going to let all of you listen into this moment. Because this is something that, that I needed today. This is something that, that I felt like uh, could help me. And maybe by preaching to myself, uh, you'll get something out of it by listening along as well. And I do so uh, using Karl Bart as another guiding compass point. He said, preach with the Bible in one hand. And preach with the newspaper in the other in hopes that you never lose grasp on your theology as well as what's going on in the world. Preach the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And so I want to start uh, knowing that we're going into scripture. I've got to start with a few disclaimers because this is contentious and the topics are contentious because we're going to talk about current events. So I want to lay some groundwork before we get into it. Disclaimer number one, the goal of this sermon, first and foremost, is to deliver the gospel on which you can rest in a time of mental, physical, and spiritual fatigue. The goal is to deliver the gospel. I saw a tweet uh, from a close friend of mine. Her name is Heather Thompson Day. She tweeted, everything changes when we're exhausted. We can't think. We anger easily. We may take the quickest route instead of the right one. But God doesn't command your rest for his sake. He commands it for yours. And I know I need rest today. And maybe you need rest today. So the hope is to put us into a place where the gospel is a place that we can rest on. Disclaimer number two, with that goal in mind, in order to speak to rest, I intend to discuss that which aims to steal our peace by speaking about the current events, to speak about the things going on inside the newspaper. Whenever possible, I'm going to speak about the things going on in this world in as little detail as possible. Because one, there are children in this room. Two, there are people watching online. And I do not want to trigger any traumas by going into too much detail about the things going on. The news is doing a really good job of keeping you up to date on the details we don't need to do that as much here disclaimer number three I want to spend some time speaking about the role of prayer and the posture of believers in tough times I want to talk about how prayer works maybe how it doesn't and maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on in the world surrounding prayer especially in this time I saw a tweet Uh, May 23rd, I believe, from Shane Claiborne. Shane Claiborne tweeted, I am tired of politicians and preachers offering thoughts and prayers after every mass shooting while simultaneously refusing to take the necessary actions to end gun violence. This is what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, as a preacher who has, is, and does offer thoughts and prayers for those in pain i do not want to take the lord's name in vain but i also do not aim to alienate anyone in this sermon number one in order to take a stance on a certain thing you need to have education and to do it in a sermon you need proper theological grounding sarah bessie tweeted uh, a little while ago she said people should never be the collateral damage of your theology and so I am not going to take any stance that will alienate one person on either side of the aisle. Disclaimer number four, this sermon is not mil- meant to be political. I will not be choosing a side on the gun reform debate. I will not persuade you to take one side one way or the other. I can say this. If there is to be a stance and if Shane is on to something and we do need to do something... Then let me share with you what the NAD has written for all of us. The NAD, as an administration, sent this out May 25, 2022. And I'm going to paraphrase this a bit because it's longer than what I'm going to give you. But it says, in short, we mourn and pray for those whose lives have been irrevocably changed in the Uvalde, Texas. And our hearts cry out in anguish and anger against this evil act. But as we pray, we must do more we must find a way to end this type of heinous and senseless violence from occurring in our communities we must search our souls for ways we can stem the tide of violence and implore our elected officials to take action we must search our hearts and minds in order to prioritize human life we can't keep thinking we're helpless in this matter we can do something we can hold our leaders and ourselves accountable so I in this sermon, in this moment, implore you if you have a solution and an avenue where you can enact it, or if you have a contact through which you can supply your solution to someone who can enact it, I pray that you do something to create a better world that serves us all. Because the reality is this I don't have a solution, I don't have an opinion worthy of sharing. I also do not own a gun. I also do not have any children what I do have is fear what I do have is a concern what I have is a desire for peace what I have today is this Sabbath what I have is a Bible what I have is a word from God to share And what I intend to do today is to offer how God might restore our peace out of our distress in order to find rest in his gospel and what I have for better or for worse is a thought and a prayer let's pray God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference living one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you would make all things right if I surrendered to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So with the Bible in one hand, and the newspaper, in the other, I start this morning with the newspaper. Now, another clarifying point, I wrote this sermon, or at least I finalized the sermon on June 2nd. So I'm going to give you the top eight headlines from June 2nd when I sat down to write all of this out. Number one headline, New York Times. I think this was happening while I was writing. The headline says, Biden delivers speech on gun control. Number two, CBS News, Tulsa shooting gunman, targeted surgeon he blamed for pain, police say. Number three, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, shooting at Graceland Cemetery in Racine. Number four, CNN, tropical storm watch issued for Southern Florida. Number five, the New York Times, LA County moves closer to possible mask requirement as COVID hospitalizations rise. Number six, NPR, January 6th, panel promises, quote, previously unseen material, unquote, in hearing on June 6th. Number seven, Fox News, Uvalde, Texas shooting. State senator says police chief didn't receive 911 calls from the school. And number eight, from the AP, unsparing images from Ukraine show war at the 100-day mark. With one hand on the newspaper, I can surmise that the world can be a scary place. Now, the world can also be a beautiful place. But today, it feels like the scary is outpacing the beauty. Today, the scary feels suffocating, as if all of the spaces that we occupy are full of fear and trepidation. And when mass tragedies happen at graveyards, at grocery stores, at hospitals, at churches and at schools, we can become overwhelmed by the notion that safety is threatened at every height and every depth that we can climb to, and every breath and every length that we could run to. So when this is our reality, the question becomes, how do we rest? How do we rest when peace is fleeting? Which led me to Psalm 44. Psalm 44, I'm going to read entirely. The page number, if you want to follow along, if you're a a visual learner, is up on the screen. But the psalmist says this. It says, Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the people.'" But you set them free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arms save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my own bow do I trust nor can my sword save me but you have saved us from our foes and put to shame those who hate us in god we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever but you have rejected us you have disgraced us and have not gone without our arm and have not gone out with our armies you have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors and the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and my shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us into the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So awake, Lord. Why are you sleeping? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Bart says, Preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. So, another question that arises is what happens when they both point to pain? What happens when they both point to struggle, to agony, to abandonment in time of need? Bart's quote is simple Preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, but it's not the entire quote. Bart actually goes on to say, Take your Bible and take your newspaper and read them both. But interpret newspapers from your Bible. So start here and look at the world as if the Bible itself is the lens by which you look at the world around you. And if we interpret the newspaper from the Bible, then we must begin by noting this. The story that we're hearing today in the newspaper and the story that the psalmist is telling us in chapter 44 proves that the issues we are facing are not new. The problems aren't new to humanity. We have cried out to God to help us before. We have felt loss before. We have felt the absence of God in the wake of tragedy, despite our cries before. And if this much is true, then this is nothing new to God either. He has already heard these cries. He has felt our sense of loss. He knows our abandonment issues which means we are not dealing with a crisis beyond the scope of God's mercy. It means that we are not held in the hands of a new parent incapable of abating our trauma. And if that much is true, then there is still reason to hope. If God has seen us through a season of suffering before, he will surely do it again. Now, full transparency here, I did not start this sermon when I sat down to write it looking for the Psalms I wasn't actually looking for anything I was sourcing the quote that I had at the beginning from dr. Maury Jackson I wanted to know whether or not he taught it or if he took it from somewhere else and so I punched into Google preach to yourself and let everyone else listen which led me to uh, one the realization dr. Jones uh, dr. Jackson really did quote that himself that really is from him but it's not an unfamiliar term to other Christians to other believers and to other teachers Because I found John Piper's devotional blog, where he titled it, Preach to Yourself. And within which, Piper quotes Martin Lloyd-Jones from his book, Spiritual Depression. And I want to read that quote here. It says on page 20 and 21, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them. But they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Someone is talking to you. Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this and Instead of allowing this side to talk to him, he decides to talk to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. And so the psalmist stands up and says, Listen, self, for a moment I will speak to you. Now, having never read Psalm 42 in the context of the quote I was researching, I kept going, and I decided to see what else was out there. And so I read the entirety of Psalm 42, which I want to do here with you. Again, page number on the screen. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. For when shall I come and appear before you, God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? I remember things as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then the twist. The answer to his own question as if not letting the the voice within him speak but speaking to the voice instead the psalmist finishes hope in God for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God I've read Psalm 42 before but I have never read Psalm 42 on June 2nd 2022 in the context of the situations developing in our society and so I kept reading because it seemed like God was speaking to the psalmist then and to us now. And I read Psalm 42, I read Psalm 43, and I read Psalm 44, which led me to this sermon. Because the psalmist seemed to be speaking what was on his heart. And what was on his heart happened to be what was on mine. From his time to today, the unfortunate reality here is the depression was the state of being. Now Piper in his blog followed this quote in his own words by closing with this. He says, The battle against despondency is a battle to believe the promises of God and that belief in God's future grace comes by hearing the word. And so preaching to ourselves the word of God is at the heart of the battle. And there, I believe, is the hint of the gospel that will resolve the situation of hopelessness felt both then and now. Psalm 43, finishing out the trio, says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. And to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, he says again, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Sermon title today was plucked directly from the first verse in 43. But the entirety of chapter 43 is that beacon of hope, despite the psalmist sitting in his active despair. Nothing is fixed as he is writing the situation. He is not writing in the future tense. He is not writing of joy now, speaking of his anguish in past tense. He is writing in pain now. The solution is not here yet. And still, we have this song, we have this poem, a poem that is an example of faith in God's future grace from a believer in turmoil, feeling lost and hopeless, a thought and a prayer under pressure. It's a call to action for God to do something when He Himself, the psalmist here, couldn't while taking fire. A call for light in the darkness, a call for truth. To lead us to the sanctuary, a desire for joy found only at the altar of God. And there, resolution is found. There, hope is restored. There, peace is attained. There, rest assured. There is where prayer led him then. And here is where prayer leads us now. A light, a light that's been glowing behind me ever since we started a light that is hung on the cross, a light that is burning despite nobody keeping track of it. There's where the psalmist went, and here's where we go now. The problem is this. This light does not solve the crisis of mass shootings. This light does not end wars. This light does not redirect tropical storms. It does not eradicate viruses. This light is not the end to all of our woes. But it is the beacon that calls us all together. All of us. Indiscriminate of race, color, religion, gender expression, age, national origin, disability, marital status, or sexual orientation. The truth is that this light burns for both Jew and Gentile. For slave and for free. For male and for female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Because in as many things as this light isn't, the truth is that it's so much more. Then and now, God has responded to our prayers by sending the light and sending the truth. Despite the proof that's in the paper that points out how dark every corner of the world is becoming, despite the overwhelming fear overtaking our peace, beauty is still vindicated in his light, which now sits at the center of our darkness. Despite the lament of the psalmist who is losing hope in himself and losing sight of God as he is suffocating in the existential dread that knows no height, no depth, no breadth, no length from where he cowers in mourning, refuge is delivered in the truth that the battle is finished at the altar where we are with God. And it doesn't matter where you start out today, he can find you in the darkness. His light can lead you from anywhere. Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of light. in your presence there is the fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore." So the reality is this: The road ahead is still very long, and Jesus has not come back yet, which means that we need to continue on. In the end, borrowing from a poet, Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one last travel by, and that has made all the difference. I invite you today to take the road less traveled, and as you journey on, be guided by light, both figuratively and literally. Keeping vigil is understood to be a communal lament, an act of solidarity, and a time to bring light to brokenness in society. As an act of public witness, a candlelight vigil offers a community, a space to connect with God so that God's love and justice can be carried out through us. So I call on you now to take action, to do something in the name of God and in pursuit of peace to keep vigil over this church and its people in this community, this city, this state, this country, this world, keep vigil. As Laura sings, you're invited to start now, to come forward, to collect a candle here in front of me and set it alight from this light here at the cross. And as you return to your seat, reflect on this light that you're holding now in the darkness you feel like you are sitting in, and let that light encourage you in your battle against despondency in whatever ways you're facing it. Use this light to motivate you to think and to pray over the brokenness in our society. Use this light to give rise to your peace amidst any active oppression of the enemy. Use this light as protection so that you can rest.
1: Some brightly burning. Some-
0: that this one is given to you freely in love. If your world is a scary place, be reminded that God's future promise is that beauty always outfaces the fear. Even if you can't feel it, even if you can't see it, the battle of good and evil has already been decided. The reality is this light wins. So I hope this brings you rest today. I hope that you're restored even if only temporarily by the truth of the word of God. Because we've heard in this song, there's a call, there's a call to all of you to go light the world with the flame you hold. There is someone who needs you to guide them out of the darkness into the light, as God has done for you. And if they can't muster the strength to carry on because they only know this, but they know nothing of this, exhaustion has overwhelmed them and they can't think and they anger easily and they seek to take the quickest route instead of the right one and pray for their serenity but as we pray we must do more we must search our hearts and our minds in order to prioritize human life we can't keep thinking that we are helpless in this we can do something we can bring the light that they cannot reach to them by lighting their candle with your own. It doesn't cost your light anything to light someone else's candle. So do as Jesus does with you today, and stop, and rest, and do it with them. Share a thought for them, reminding you that they are not alone in this darkness, and neither are you, not today, not ever. I pray that you are blessed with a gentle, and tender heart. I pray you're empowered with strength against all evil. I pray you are graced with compassion and care for all people. I pray you were given courage. I pray you were gifted with openness and understanding and respect. And in the words of Paul, I pray this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be the glory in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever